Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. we got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Hey, Brett. Well, hey, Emily. Way to mix that up. I know. I Usually you do this, but I told you I had something to do a little chatter about. You did. Is that, was that it? Well, it's just something I've been thinking. No, it's something I've been thinking on. And I'm really curious as to why our son, who is now 10 years old, is obsessed with checking the mail for no other reason than to clip coupons. That is true. That is what? true. So our <laughs> oldest has been checking the mailbox for college right? Uh-huh. paraphernalia right. and minutia. All- mm-hmm. But Gus is a coupon clipper. Oh, he, he clips and then organizes them. And then because he, he realized every day after school, if he wanted to go get a snack, I was like, this is costing too much money. We've got food at home. We're not right. going to go just drive through and get snacks every day. <laughs> And so he he said, oh, well, there's coupons, and this could save us money. And then he says this, which this fascinated me. He said, Mom, I think I'm going to take the coupons to school and sell them. <laughs> That's my boy. That's my boy. I Entrepreneur. Like, I know. I was like, oh, man, you get it honest. I said, why don't you try that and tell me how it goes? I don't think he goes, I don't think my friends know what coupons are. They probably don't. They yeah. probably don't. Sell those Definitely coupons that you can get school. in the circular. Oh, my goodness. Way to go. Okay. Well, the third voice you are hearing on our podcast today is a friend, an author, and coincidentally, the dean of uh, my children's, my older children's school. And um, it's he's written a book called Idiot Sojourning Soul. And I cannot wait for you to hear from, learn from, get curious with Justin Rosalino. Hey, here you are. Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. I love that you showed up to our building. You're like, what is this place? Yes. (laughs) I didn't know what it, right. I mean, it's a white building that doesn't feel Mm. Waco-ish because it's sort of uh, hip. Mm. Like it has a semi-industrial... Mm-hmm. Uh, vibe, artsy vibe. So I was immediately curious and didn't realize that there was this, um, how did you put it? Social entrepreneurship? Yeah, or social, social enterprise. Right. Yeah. I didn't realize there was that aspect to what you guys are doing. So I'm very familiar with Jesus Said Love, mostly because I went to the Wild Torch, I yeah. think, our, our yes. second year and was really blown away and mm. was kind of like, they have the gift for this. So mm. we need to support. And we signed up to support financially and did for a little while and then went broke. 
<laughs> well, so we're not. So now I get automated emails. <clears throat> failed donations. That's oh, amazing. Oh, good. We'll take you off that. Good. So we'll make That's it easier t- for your conscience. It's just it's the email of shame is what <laughs> that is. But it's effective. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, um, yeah. This it's been a fun thing to watch the growth of Jesus said love and, and to develop the social, you know, social enterprise into lovely, but a lot of people still don't know about it. Just like a lot of people don't know that you're an author. You know, yes. before, before we go there though, okay. I do have to say this. Cause I remember when you guys moved to town and, um, our, our school's principals, a friend of ours, and she said, you guys are going to love the new Dean that's coming in. <laughs> He's like, He's y'all's type. Mm. <clears throat> to which I then said, um, pray tell, Allison, what is our <laughs> type? Because apparently we have a type that, in the way that she said that, seems to be different than the rest of the type right. at Live Oak Classical School, which now I would <laughs> firmly agree with said statement. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the... Is it cranky and... <laughs> Cynical, yeah. questioning, Dark. idiot, idiot sojourning yeah. soul. Break yeah. the rules. It. Yes. Definitely break the rules. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually been an asset for me as a disciplinarian because <laughs> I just so empathize right, with, with the, the kids. wild one. I'm like, I know yeah. that this is a really attractive idea to you right now, mm-hmm. but could you just consider not doing that? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so, anyway. Well, you have an interesting story, and because it's not like you grew up and you thought, I want to be the dean of a really uh, classical school one day. No, no, <laughs> Christian class. I mean, who would have thought, if you read this book, zero people would guess, given your history and trajectory, that this is part of your story. Yes. It, it, it's, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, you know, for better or for worse, I just... Uh, you know, I grew up about 20 miles east of Manhattan on the North Shore of Long Island. And I'm sure there were people who took faith seriously uh, somewhere, but I just didn't know them. They weren't part of my inner circle or whatever, my friend groups. or um, It was definitely a kind of a, a lot of blue collar, hard drinkers, partiers, uh, and I'm kind of talking about the parents here. Totally. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I didn't know. I think I mentioned in the book, like, I didn't know who Billy Graham was. What? <laughs> and I, I say that as someone who, like, grew to appreciate Billy sure. Graham. But I didn't know what an evangelist was. I didn't know um, any of that stuff. And so I was raised up. Uh, kind of nominally Catholic, and then we stopped going to Mass maybe when I was in like 7th or 8th grade. Mm. We just, our family kind of disintegrated, mm-hmm. so it became a lower priority. Um, so, I mean, I, I think I always resonated and was attracted to and maybe haunted by like the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. things like that, the idea of living that kind of life. But um, the cultural trappings of American Christianity were a complete mystery to me. I mean, did you even know them? No. And it's funny. So like my friends back home, you know, were, um, for whatever reason, the people I grew up with were pretty, there's a lot of loyalists Mm. among us and we're in touch a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, I'm still in touch with people I went to kindergarten with uh, pretty regularly. And so a lot of 
cultural Christianity um, is a is a mystery to them, and it's not even a <laughs> negative thing. Like, there's not necessarily mm-hmm. baggage. I mean, mm-hmm. I have a buddy of mine who was a uh, fire dancer for mm-hmm. a while. Oh yeah, we we could bring in a wild torch. Yes. What? He, he would crush it. There, there we you should go. do that. Let's put that on the list. <laughs> okay. And he, you know, he's a he would admit all this. I mean, he's kind of a, an intense, crazy guy. Yeah. He toured with like Jane's Addiction and all uh-huh. this stuff, and um, you know, and he doesn't have. He's not weirded out by talking about God or Jesus with me because he doesn't mm-hmm. have any negative. And you know, on occasion, he's even said, "Can you put this on your prayer list?" Whatever, you know. So it's different than. Um, if you grow up in Alabama or Texas, and you might have some some things you really appreciate or some deep wounds, you know, mm-hmm. and and so it was just sort of, uh, I'm my experience is a little different than that. I'll say. Mm. So you you wrote this book having come from really no understanding of what Christian culture was. You kind of mm-hmm. grew into this faith journey. What I love about the book, I will say is that for me, because I'm not like a theologian or a historian. And so I don't, I'm not in academia or anything like that. And this, this is the kind of academia like I can do. Yeah. This is, this is like grounded. Well, thank you. History meets the streets. Yes. And that is what that's your, your voice is so important (coughs) right now because I feel like it's just, we can either go like completely heady or we get like lost over here in like identity politics and yeah. Christianity and that route. <sighs> but this convergence of like really finding where we are now as what does it even mean to be a Christian yeah. is the whole question of this book, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so first of all, thank you. I'm glad you feel that way. And I, that's really the goal of the book or one of the main goals of the book is to try and take information that um, is somewhat inaccessible because it's buried in academic journals and thick texts that might still be untranslated German or whatever Mm -hmm. um, and make it sort of accessible, user-friendly, readable. And it's based on the idea that, you know, there's a lot of... um, thoughtful, bright people who are just busy mm-hmm. and, and they just, they have very full lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not necessarily, you know, generationally now we don't as much enjoy in the evening, you know, uh, sitting in front of the fireplace mm-hmm. and reading for two hours. Right. We just, for better or worse, that's right. just not what most Americans do. So I'm trying to mm-hmm. take a lot of content that I would teach in a history or a theology class and just sort of say, it's okay that you're not going to read the actual primary sources mm-hmm. on this. You're not going to. You're not yeah. going to go to the Baylor Library and, right. and like look for 45 minutes for the whatever, the Dewey Decimal number, <laughs> right. uh, and try and figure it out. So, um, <laughs> I haven't heard Dewey Decimal in <laughs> quite you, a while. That was uh, amazing. You, in, in your research, <laughs> did you use any microfiche? No, but I remember being just so repulsed by that word, even as a child. Microfiche? That's the best idea we could come up with. I mean, what the hell is a fiche? (laughs) 
Yeah, and every oh, <laughs> microfiche. That's a perfect example of something that like. <laughs> In a way, thank God for the internet because mm. remember that. Remember, yeah. just like yeah, and if you didn't get it like right over oh. the light, and then your you text would go away. Yeah. And oh, what a uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. For those of you who don't know what a microfiche is, you just need to go Google it because I can't even begin to explain. <laughs> no, <to you>. our <laughs> our listeners need to be like forty plus. Yes. To to understand this in our elementary years. Um. So this, I love this quote from the book that you say on page thirteen. Like me. Um, which you're talking about Christians or uh, at this point, I think you're talking about conservative or progressive or trying to find yourself where you fit in this. Like me, they are bothered not so much by how Christianity has lost touch with the modern secular world, but that Christianity has lost touch with itself, with its own story and essential identity. Instead of wondering how to convince the world to embrace Jesus, Many Christians now wonder whether embracing Jesus might actually require renouncing or at least radically reforming contemporary Christianity as we know it. Yes, that's a that is that was my takeaway, my reflection after I gave this uh, baccalaureate speech. So mm-hmm. a baccalaureate is like a religious Christian um, graduation ceremony and. I gave this speech at this at my old school in Nashville, which is an amazing place. I love it dearly, and I'm very loyal to it. Um, and but you know the 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 talk I gave the speech was a little bit. I was trying to be prophetic and kind of um, look at some of the inconsistencies and mm-hmm. problems mm-hmm. of modern day Christianity. And you know, sure enough, I was doing this speech in an auditorium full of pretty. At the very least, pretty culturally conservative people, meaning like businessmen and women, upper middle class Mm -hmm. or upper class. And and it's not like um, I guess what surprised me, let me put it this way. I guess what surprised me is that what I was saying sort of resonated even with like, you know, baby boomer, Mm -hmm. vice president of a bank, Mm -hmm. Southern Baptist. I mean, it's it's the word is out. You know, it's not most people who are either, you know, attend church and are uh, thoughtful and kind of committed, um, understand and appreciate that there's some really deep, bizarre problems. Yeah. And they still might, you know, be of a certain political persuasion. I know a lot of very thoughtful, prophetic, self-critical Republicans, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Who are pretty open to, um, we have work to do. Like, this is mm-hmm. weird. I think mm-hmm. of David Brooks. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, he's, yeah, Beth Moore would be yes. kind of one of those uh, evangelical Christian female voices who's like, ah, we have a problem with this yes. happening in our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kudos to them, man. Like, right. They've lost a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. They, I, you lose that. I mean, uh, you lose... Um, whatever you want to call a fan base or some of your voice, some of your book buyers and your, you, for some people, they've lost credibility. Yes. They no longer can speak, teach, lead effectively because they've said we're out of that wagon. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting off the bus. Yeah. That's scary for those folks Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm So, um, yeah. Um, what, what I think is so 
profound. Another thing that you follow this line of thought through the book is that you talk about how some truth has to be, I don't want to get it wrong. Gosh, this is just so, I could just go back and read so many quotes. Some truths need to happen to us. Like when a child feels the cold ocean waves lapping at her feet for the very first time. Such encounters lift ourselves until the world breaks open, becoming suddenly more wild and wondrous than mere moments before. So in light of what we're experiencing right now in Christendom, in the church, how much of that truth isn't settling into us? How much truth isn't happening to us? Yeah. But you wrestle with this idea of like used to New Testament, we would say um, we we believe we give ourselves over to this thing that is it requires faith. Mm-hmm. And now we're asking people to like sign up, sign the dotted line. Do you believe this doctrine X, Y, and Z? It's more linear than allowing this truth, this faith to kind of happen to and in us. Organically. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, let me see if I can uh, answer this without going rabbit trailing too much. Um, so in the world of art and music, mm-hmm. It is a good thing. Pretty much the <clears throat> the highest praise you can give a work of art is that when you see it or hear it, you feel like a penetrating question has been asked to you. Mm. You feel unsettled and like, I have to maybe figure some things out. Right. right? So you leave <clears throat> less settled in some ways and less firm. Mm. Um, I mean, that's... Gosh, I got a serious frog in my throat. Get it. <clears throat> That's how I feel. I mean, when I, you know, uh, whether it's going to the symphony and hearing some Charles Ives piece mm-hmm. or something that just blows my mind and I leave in a daze. Um, and so... That's a compliment in the arts, and I feel like in the world of religion and in American religion... Um, that's we don't like that. Mm. We like uh, we tend to default to thinking of faith, and in particular, I'd say the Christian faith as something to be uh, imported or uploaded mm. and kind of possessed, right? Like it's yours now. Um, and uh, I think I know that feeling firsthand, by the way. Like totally. I, I'm very seduced <laughs> by the yeah. idea of being right or, no, totally. or having access to something or body slamming somebody with some doctrine or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't ever have that. I don't have that thought ever. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell you're absolutely free yes, uh, of that. Just <laughs> totally free. <laughs> Chain's uh, broken. <laughs> wait, aren't you? So you're like an Enneagram Eight, right? Oh, I, that's what they tell me. Right. And I don't swear by, I mean, the, what are you, sure. what are it's you? like part of it. I think, uh, I took like one of those long tests that are mm. supposed to be super mm-hmm. accurate. Uh, and it said I was a four mm. with, uh, almost equal parts seven and two right under the four. Mm. And then everything else was like zero. Okay. <laughs> Which I think means I'm a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know how accurate or whatever. But right. um, so but possessing something, possessing something. Yeah. See, I rabbit trailed. That's okay. I okay. love a rabbit trail. I'll bring us back. Okay. Good. Yeah. So yeah, like um, 
possessing, um, having it kind of freeze dried in your back pocket and armed with truth to kind of navigate the world. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's how I felt in my early 20s. Like I am now equipped with enough information, <laughs> enough knowledge of theology and the Bible and whatever to and enough intensity um, to to put my Christian stamp upon the world. And I was also, you know, kind of attracted to personalities mm-hmm. who were like that. Totally. Like, we get, you know, wake hypnotized. up at, right. Like totally. wake up at 4am yeah. and pray for three hours. <laughs> and I remember this kind of mentor figure of mine for a while. Um, he and I were hanging out with another friend, uh, of ours. And the, the other friend said, uh, to this mentor guy who was a good bit older than us, um, he said, you know, where do you get nourished? Like, wh- who do you go to? Because we were talking about spiritually deep friendships. Mm-hmm. And the guy just said, uh, I go to the Lord, man, 4 a.m. I go to the Lord. And that was, like, attractive to me and, and does have some truth and insight to mm-hmm. it. But that same guy would also just steamroll people. Mm. And, t- you know, years later, it turned out he had done uh, some of the kinds of things that sadly pastors are right. found out to be right. doing. And, right. and, um, and so, like, I just don't think, like, I think that's a little bit of a recipe for insanity. Yeah. Well, the truth is, and you discuss this in the book, that we were formed from community and for community. Yes. So our God, the Trinitarian, this Trinitarian God mm-hmm. is a community that we are formed and shaped in. And we, we are now the embodied Christ, yes. the, the, the gospel lived out in us, through us, in other people. So I have to see the face of God in you. Like I, mm-hmm. if I'm to grow, I, I have to have that friction and that rub and that like, yeah. Way way of seeing, right? Like you can't just go to this idea of God because you're never going to fully know and be formed just by that private, right. experiential, whatever. I I agree. I mean, part of the the ancient Greek Christians, so the Eastern Orthodox Christians, we call them now, um, made a much bigger deal out of this idea of. Of like you're not really ever finished. Mm-hmm. Like embrace the the not being finished. It's really hard for me. It's, I don't. It's, I don't like that. I like. Right. I like to like yes, accomplish this. Check yes. it off the list. I am healed. I loved that idea. Yes. In evangelicalism, where it was yes. like Past lost, tense. saved. Yeah. Like you were here and now you're this. But then as I'm growing, I'm like, wait, but we got to keep doing death or birth death, resurrection over and over and over again. Yeah. No, I mean, that's... <laughs> it's uh, so hard. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, and we think it's crazy um, when we read something like um, the... Uh, gosh, what was his name? Ben- yeah, sorry, Benedict. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, Benedict Rule. So uh, right. St. Benedict, you mm-hmm. know, started some of the first uh, fully functioning, <clears throat> well-formed monasteries and... Mm-hmm. Part of his rule that his monks followed uh, is one of their regular prayers and meditations was to um, meditate on your death daily. Mm-hmm. Like this idea of like, 
and that's another, you know, Eastern Orthodox tend right. to uh, a, pra- a practice for many of them is to think of the day, the 24 hour period as a sort of mini life cycle. Absolutely. And you're, you're, it's the end of the day. You got to right. let go and, and sort of practice a kind of surrender and death until yeah. the next morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sounds like a lot of unfinished, uh, process to me as mm-hmm. opposed to past tense. Mm-hmm. I loved past tense, like, right. uh, redeemed, healed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of, yeah, at least for me, kind of makes me crazy. One of our that. favorite, um, my favorite nun, and she was on the podcast, mm-hmm. Macrina Whitaker is a Benedictine nun in Fort mm-hmm. Smith, Arkansas. And so I've had the privilege of going and doing silent retreats with her a couple of times. And, um, she wrote a book called Seven Sacred Pauses, and it, it was a game changer for me to walk through these seven, she called them energies of the day. And I just was mm-hmm. like, no one's talking to me like this who calls themselves Christian. Right. Right. Like I did not grow, I grew up Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. came to Baylor. So not much was outside of that realm of understanding. And um, so, yeah, this life cycle, this you know, waking up with the sun here and then the walking through the day and the noonday and illuminating things. And then the, you know, um, vespers in the evening and letting go and then going down with the sun and detachment. And it was mm-hmm. just like, this is a new way, Yeah, you know, this is a new way, but it's an old way. Right. We just, you know, every culture has its blind spots and that's okay. And there's much to be said, I would argue, in favor of and in praise of um, evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, evangelicals, like modern Southern Baptist, 21st century evangelicals that are very pop, it's very popular to um, to critique those and, and even mock mm. those kind of folks these days. But... Um, you know, there are serious truths there, like sure. the whole evangelical idea that the gospel has to penetrate the individual, the self. Mm-hmm. It's not something that's only um, kind of an asset or, or aspect of the general culture that you can kind of um, just sort of catch little whiffs of, mm-hmm. whiffs of and, and be confident that you'll get it by osmosis or something (laughs) like it is a i mean jesus confronted the person Mm -hmm. and and people and at some point i am asked Mm. to answer yeah those questions of you know who do you say who do you say that i am right and um what am i gonna do today Mm. am i for real uh in this physical body today going to love my enemies or not yeah Things like that that are like, they're really not generalizable. They're not, mm. you can't avoid the individual appeal of that. And I like that about evangelicals. Sure. You know? And I love the approach in this book because it's not, I mean, you even talk about the ex-evangelical movement that's mm-hmm. happening. There's just so many things that it's like throwing out baby with bathwater, right? When we <clears throat> kind of extremely leave something. And so I love the the logic that you are able and reason that you're able to put into this because it really asks us to consider the good in all things. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be things to, to 
celebrate and get excited about, mm-hmm. I, I would argue. Yeah. I mean, otherwise you're just creating a caricature of something right, right. and flattening it out. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, it probably wasn't till the last like five years, I would say that I gained a new, deeper appreciation, I guess, or understanding, um, of, or empathy maybe for, uh, my friends who for lack of a better term, I guess, are ex-evangelical mm-hmm. or deconstructing or whatever, mm-hmm. because I just didn't grow up mm-hmm. with that being Baggage. like in the water, in the air yeah. I breathe every day. Yeah. And, and it really, I think part of what people are wrestling with as they're leaving is that we have to understand really from a trauma perspective mm-hmm. of how much trauma is birthed in that system. Yes. And so it is really hard when you've been harmed by yeah. a system, by a person who represents that type mm-hmm. to to still possess love and empathy. Like yeah. that's the challenge, right? Of oh. of Jesus. That's the challenge of loving your enemy and the enemy, right? And you talk about empathy for the devil and <laughs> Like, yeah. I mean, I'm like, what is he talking about? But you even talk in the book about recognizing um, the enemy within. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the work. Yes. Oh, it's the, hard. The myth of absolute evil is, uh, I'm sort of uh, paraphrasing the sociologist Jonathan Haidt here. Uh, he wrote a book about this and talks about it in several lectures, but the myth of absolute evil is this idea. It's very self-serving. It's the mm. idea that if you're observant enough, you can find the one really guilty person or party or group. Mm. And you can kind of uh, quarantine them once you identify them and be, and then there's hope, right? Because mm. you can, you found your scapegoat. That's uh, yeah. You're on the new path and, and it just, it's. I would argue that that is a great self-deception. That mm-hmm. that um, I, I'm going to butcher this, but G.K. Chesterton mm-hmm. said yeah. something to the effect of um, every man that's ever knocked on the door of a brothel mm-hmm. was looking for God. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You just talked about this in Baylor Chapel yesterday. Yeah. And saying, you know, that we thought when we were going into strip clubs 16 years ago that we were bringing Jesus to the strip club, but we we found Jesus there. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, we it, it was it was like jokes on us. Uh huh. You know, to the, to I the mean, degree the, that it became a meme <clears throat> yesterday. Yeah. It, the college students put together a meme about the fact that I said I went to a strip club and I found Jesus. Wow. And they thought it was funny, and I was right. like, wait, that that's not the funny part. That's, <laughs> That's 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 Truth. the good part, right? Right. <laughs> but it's it seems so like to put it in that in that framework is so out of out of concept. Yes. No, you're supposed to find Jesus at the church with the steeple where all the people are. Right. <clears throat> and I think the brilliant insight of all those uh, various twelve um, step groups mm-hmm. is that they latched onto this idea that like you, you're. You're not going to be able to stop doing this. Right. And even if it's, uh, you know, extreme self-harm promiscuity type mm-hmm. of stuff or, um, you know, sexual acting out mm-hmm. in various forms that 
become totally compulsive and Mm -hmm. those are solutions like alcohol is a solution to a problem and it you know it sort of works for a while so if you're um you know if you're raised in a totally volatile household or something um and you grow up acting out whether it's by (laughs) you know smoking pot in your room or whatever that is in it sort of helping you survive for a little while and then the the solution becomes a much much bigger problem and Mm -hmm. starts eating your lunch Mm -hmm. and then the tail's wagging the dog Mm -hmm. um and so those 12-step groups they they work on that yep like don't work on stopping i mean that is you are going to have to exhibit some um, some good habits and mm-hmm. make some make choices, mm-hmm. and um, that's true. But really, you got to get at you are desperately spiritually hungry. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it worked for a little while. Porn worked for sure. a little while when you didn't know and you didn't have any yeah. other resources. But Doctor Allender, Dan Allender, who we've love and respect, and I've done work with Brett has to his story workshops, but. Um, they, he really calls sin a trauma response mm-hmm. that, uh, that sin is just a trauma response. And we've, we've all been in that cycle. If we take the fall and yeah. we look at this trauma and then, which is separation abandonment, right? This, right. this deep void. Um, and so what do we do to fill the ache? What do we do to soothe? You know, whether it's compete violently with one another, kill, right. lust, envy, you know, um, greed, it's, it's all this ache to be self soothed, to be soothed, you know, totally. And that stuff can, I mean, I don't know why I'm going to tell the story, but I will very briefly, uh, when my wife and I were first married our first like year and a half, like I'm a pretty gregarious guy. I like to laugh. Mm -hmm. I'm really extroverted. I didn't think of myself as having like super severe anger, issues as an adult at mm. least. And um, there were several times I would just lose it mm. and scream at her. Mm-hmm. I think I like broke a mirror or something mm. like mm-hmm. the type of thing that I had to get on the phone immediately yeah. and get help. It scared you. Yes. It like, scared like, everybody. What you is didn't know this? what you're capable of. Right. And, and so it took some work to sort of see like, well, sometimes for a variety of reasons, I was at that point making my wife into my mom. Like mm-hmm. she would suddenly mm-hmm. become, absolutely. I would be 12. Right. Yeah. We all do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And my mom would like, God bless her. My mom's awesome. But like you try mm. maintaining emotional sobriety as a mother right. working two or three jobs with a husband, you know, yeah. my dad is the sweetest guy ever, uh, but just really got his butt kicked yeah. by alcoholism yeah. for a long time. So uh, my like fight or flight response mm. as a kid, if I got pushed far enough, was that. Yep. Was that lash out, and it would be yeah. like thirty seconds, and and then I would pick up the pieces or whatever. So, um, yeah, you better believe I I was shocked by that and just. Called a couple people mm-hmm. and was like, I need you to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Mm. That is the beauty of coming kind of to the end of your rope, the end mm-hmm. of yourself where, I mean, step one, we admitted our lives were unmanageable, you yeah. know? And, and so it's like that, the 12 steps, I think Richard Rohr says could be the West greatest spiritual movement yeah. that we've ever had. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it truly, I, I have found so much life in a 12-step community. They are a caring, incre- I, I can't say enough whether it's 12 Steps of AA, my group's the Al-Anon group. Mm-hmm. I, I am forever going to shout from the rooftops that I think the 12 Steps are incredibly spiritually formative. Yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's uh, and you know, there's a history there where they were essentially birthed out of, you may know all this, but they were, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, which was the first of those groups, mm-hmm. was birthed out of the um, Oxford groups, mm-hmm. which were these groups um, in and around England uh, of people who just really wanted to <clears throat> live life abundantly. That they wanted to kind of tap into whatever spiritual resources were available, and um, they had what they called their four absolutes, which are you know basic principles like honesty. Mm. Um, and uh, early AA guys basically adapted some mm. of that stuff uh, and made it into AA. And so it's not, um, it has very Judeo-Christian... Mm-hmm. I think Book of James, right? Doesn't a lot of the 12 steps come from, or the big book come from the Book of James, I believe? I, yeah, I would, I would argue that for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and this idea of like... Um, we are embodied beings that live in space and time, and we can talk all day long about being covered by the blood of Jesus or whatever, or uh, not what I don't mm-hmm. mean to diminish. Oh, yeah, I got gotcha. you. But here. and then continue to do, yeah, right. just whatever horrible we want. things, yeah, whatever things. we, yeah, yeah, it's and right, egocentric. It's all about the ego. Yes, self will. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So I. I mean, I would. I would agree with you. Um, well, back to, I, I want to bring us back cause this does have something to do with where we're going and also where I want us to kind of round out the time is that one of the things you say is that love is an inside job that really all of this is about this understanding of embodied love. So we have to face the end of ourselves. We have to have a higher love, if you will. Um, I think of Steve Winwood, you know, it's my favorite, like higher love. I listen to it all the time. I love it. And I'm not down with Whitney's, you know, remix. That's a, that's a good one too. Um, but you had this moment of kind of a, (laughs) you call it pissing kitten. I want to tell this story. This is my favorite because this reminds me of the work of Jesus said love. So page 61, it's, um, Chesterton's saying anything worth doing is worth doing badly. And you say, so here's my example of how I did (laughs) something badly that was really worth doing. Yes. And so tell the story of, of piss and kitten. Okay. So me and some (laughs) friends of mine in Atlanta who have all since kind of had various implosions, (laughs) you know, I mean, we were like early twenties, we know everything. Oh, You're armed. Yes. We are real Christians. Yeah. We're gonna, and so we would drive downtown Atlanta, <clears throat> and we would um, we would leave at midnight. So our our shift, so to speak, <laughs> began at midnight. We go to Crystal, get like a couple hundred Crystal burgers, <laughs> go downtown, um, and find like basically tent cities, what we now call yeah. tent cities. Um, and bring the food and just kind of hang out um, with the guys. And I, so much beauty came out of that. I mean, I, I can't tell you. It was just I learned so much and you start developing these bonds and friendships mm-hmm. um, with these guys. Um, and uh, one of the guys, 
um, who I met down there was Emmanuel. Emmanuel was hysterical. Uh, <laughs> and so if I said something that sounded like kind of cheesy or prepackaged, he would literally say, Hey, where am I gonna at? Oh, <laughs> it was so. Oh it was my God. <laughs> and he was probably in his 40s and I was like 23. Oh um, but he was also really. He was really smart. He knew the ins and outs of Christianity and the Bible, and he knew a bunch of old gospel songs and mm. R&B songs. And um, I just kind of fell in love with this guy. Um, and he basically told me, like, I believe in Jesus and all this stuff, and I smoke crack, and I'm going <laughs> right. to... I'm, right. I'm going to smoke crack in the next 10 hours. Exactly. I guarantee you I'll smoke yeah. crack. Wow. And um, so, like, basically my little package didn't work. Yeah, and mm. he says, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you don't know what you're doing. You're scared. You're shaking <laughs> like a pissing kitten. Yes. That's where that, and I love that because he sensed yes. your... Total anxiety, your your bias, your discomfort, your yes. judgment. He he was living a life that you had already presumed yes. you had a solution for. Yes. And he would say that you don't know what you're doing. Yes, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> wow. Uh, but he was also very gentle. Mm-hmm. Um, and which that's an odd thing to be cared for absolutely by somebody who's like um i actively smoke crack and that does mean i have some deep problems Mm -hmm. but i also have some insights Mm -hmm. i mean he's older he was older than me he'd been around um and i mean i was 24 years old 23 Mm -hmm. years old and and so um that was an amazing experience for me Mm -hmm. to kind of um uh, remember that, man. I, disciple means learner. Yeah. And let's talk about that because what, what what I think is beautiful about this, and you've got kids too, and I've got kids, one that's going to be leaving the home before I care to admit it, but I'm like, I love the expression of, of faith and this understanding of this old faith that you can follow. You don't have to figure out mm-hmm. and and subscribe to five points that then you're going to determine to fall. You can you can f- just follow the way. Yes. Yep. And, and that is the point. That is the point. Yeah. Uh, yes. I, I remember uh, having a conversation with a friend of mine who's an amazing drummer. Uh, she's awesome, mm. and she played drums and all this stuff for all these big artists like Mm. Jason Mraz Mm. and well, I'm dating myself now, Mm -hmm, but, um, she was not a professing Christian, but was very interested in Christianity and religion and, um, really honest, uh, special person. And I remember talking with her one day about certain doctrines and she was kind of like, yeah, I'm just, I'm not a Christian. I'm Mm. not. And, I don't know why, but I was kind of like, ah, yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> you would have, 2,000 years ago, 
you would have followed. Mm. You would have complained the whole time, just like me. Yeah. But you would have followed. Like, uh, granted, you're not something. There's something you're not. That Mm. that you're not whatever it is. Like uh, committed to a denomination Mm -hmm. or, you know, there are things that you're not. Mm. But you are that person Mm. that has the kind of honesty uh, or maybe even, you know, Mm. desperate desire, Mm -hmm. thirst um, Mm. to engage, to look Mm -hmm. Jesus. I mean, can you imagine looking Jesus in the eye? Uh, Like that's a type of person who's willing to look I would say 2,000 mm. years ago, mm-hmm. and, and to, to be seen and exposed like right. that, to me, that always feels like a kind of exposure mm. uh, <laughs> to, um, to love that includes an, a, a, an indictment, mm. Mm. a kind of like, uh, I'm going to carry you, I love you, I'm not going away. But this thing you're doing Mm -hmm. isn't working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a reconciling. I mean, there's just, it's the reckoning and the reconciliation that that looking at Christ and looking at his way just is exposing all our defenses and copings. and, um, And it's an invitation. It's a voice of invitation. Mm -hmm. It's not shameful and condemning it no. is this voice of of like hey are you are you tired yet yeah you know like are you okay you're not all right well i'm i'm here <laughs> you know? yeah. I, have a, I have a question and and i'm gonna be honest i haven't read your book yet <laughs> that's okay i got my own copy and i'm gonna get you to sign it and i look forward to reading it and one observation <laughs> about your book is there's like nine thousand pages of source notes <laughs> yes so it's clearly cited Mm-hmm. And I mean, like half the book is notes, <laughs> which I was it like, is. this brother can read lots of pages. I was having this discussion because <clears throat> I've been watching a couple some YouTube videos on on this particular guy who I find interesting. And his big thing is doctrine. Yep. Doctrine. If the doctrine is not right, then it is demonic. Right. And I was just talking with the the uh, chaplain at Baylor. I just said, "Why? Why do I feel like some elevate doctrine over Jesus?" Right. Can you, you got any thoughts around that? Other than it's just really attractive and feels good because doctrine doesn't necessarily penetrate my ego. It doesn't require mm. necessary. Now, I would say, like, I would agree with the old evangelists who say, like, you know, if you're really letting a doctrine grip your heart, to, to use really, you know, hokey mm-hmm. language, um, sure, it can penetrate the ego. But the ego is just a resilient, I mean, mm-hmm. I, speaking for myself, I am capable of mishandling, misappropriating truths in a way that's really harmful. Mm-hmm. I just am. Um, okay, I hate to do this. I have to call the school right now. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Will you call the school on the <laughs> on the podcast? <laughs> no, I can't. I am so sorry. We're gonna Wait, pause. Can, yeah, we'll pause. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so call sorry. Him. Okay, hang we're on. All, we're wrapping up anyway.
And we're back. Yeah, we're back. <laughs> oh. Justin Rosalino had to take a call. <laughs> because t- he has a real job. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. A classroom of students was sitting there with yeah. no adult in the room wondering, what we're going to burn this place down. Correct. <laughs> Which even gives you more reason to go out and buy this book. Because you're just going to be like... So you're going to understand. Once you read this, I really think you're going to understand. Like You will give grace and permission for that kind of, like, Oof. you really just need to be doing this well, like, all when the did time. You, you need to be writing books write all the time. Thing. Yeah, how? So I started it, like, I started it seven years ago. Good gosh. Okay. So I wrote. I'm thankful <laughs> to hear that, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. I wrote a ton of it in the first three years. A okay. ton. I would say 70 or 80%. And then. I went through this whole song and dance with like some pretty big literary agents mm. um, that were all like, the, we can't do anything with this. Mm. Like, this is really cool. Mm. And they liked it, but they were like, it's kind of that old story of like you shop a demo to a record label mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, I love it. We're not signing you, yeah. But it's Great my job. favorite record right uh-huh. now, you know. Uh-huh. Like, so it was kind of one of those deals. And then I had to like, okay, I've got to continue to shape it and make it a, a more kind of accessible mm. and flow easier. And for Brett and Emily, it's really <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> now for everybody. So anyway, yeah, seven year process. I'm wow. thankful to hear that because if you just cranked this out in the last year, I was going to be like, I, I can't with nope, this. I did not. But but probably your first version was even more like more sources in the back and yes. a lot thicker. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> what yeah. we haven't what we haven't talked about, and we don't need to talk about it. I just have a question, but I want to preface it with this: that what you listeners don't know is that Justin um, was a Nashville artist as well. Yes. Guitar player. All over. Um, who was your favorite Nashvillian <laughs> or outside of Nashville to play with? Oh, gosh. I was really lucky, man, because I... But this is... Uh, this is... Uh, th- there's a downside to this, which is that I make most career choices based on the people Mm-hmm. And not what it's going to do for my resume or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I played with people that I liked and wanted to be around. And so uh, Matt Wirtz is a singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. He's a really, really good friend of mine. Dave Barnes. Like, we, we just had a lot in common, similar spiritual perspectives, similar interests, musical perspectives, humor, all that stuff. Yeah, that dude's funny. <laughs> totally. And I just loved, uh, I never was in a situation, I had a couple possibilities where I could have played in a, in a band that was like, dude, I don't want to be in the tour bus, even mm-hmm. though it's a huge, huge tour and a big deal, like... I, with people chain smoking, doing coke at three in the morning, mm-hmm. I just don't want to, and yeah. so I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, um, which is not like you're supposed to take those gigs, yeah. right? You know, so um, the the people I loved playing with were were buddies of mine and still are, um, and I kind of avoided what the the stuff that felt a little too 
polished and oppressive in the mm. Christian world, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then the, the people, like I did a tour once with Jars of Clay and they're amazing. I mean, they're Rain, great. rain on my face. That's right, <laughs> baby. <laughs> totally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a crossover secular hit. <laughs> uh, but I mean, those they're great guys and totally authentic. Uh, and that was a blast. And so. But you didn't like do the whole, like we got in the youth circuit of no. the, yeah, the leading the worship on the stages with the lights and the smoke for all the kitties. I did it on occasion and was terrible. I actually was fired from the, uh, from a passion band tour. Oh, yes. Oh, for real. Way to go. We, we you were, weren't just B team. We you were, were fired. <laughs> we got fired after the third passion. I don't think we were fired. We were fired. We just back. weren't renewed because we didn't know. have a label. We, well, we weren't really relevant enough, I don't think. I don't think. <laughs> I think it was a blessing because then we started going to strip clubs and all of our life made sense. Which we still, yes. hey, no knock it. We still value passion sure. for sure. Totally. Yeah, good yeah. and bad. Um, so... As you look forward to, do you have a book tour kind of thing going on? What, how do people, how do people get this and get this in their hands and kind of, cause every, I really, I want to give this to everybody. I'm giving it to my friend next week. That's awesome. You need to. Um, who are you giving it to? Anna. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So it is, I am doing a couple cities. So okay. I'm, I'm doing like a, I did a book release thing here in town in mm-hmm. Waco, Last week at Fabled, which yes. was great. That's a great Shout place. out to Fabled. Yeah. Great love them. Yep. Love those guys. Um, and then next week we'll do one in, in Nashville. And we're talking about doing one in Atlanta. Uh, but that's really it for that. Other mm-hmm. than that, um, I'll just, I'm nagging friends mm-hmm. online. And yeah. uh, Amazon is the easiest way okay. to get it. Yeah, which I, I have to say, God bless our friends in Nashville and all yeah. we've been through with the tornado. Yeah, right. Thing. Rebuilding oh. still. Man, I can't. It's just I watched a video where a guy was he would like live downtown and he was on his balcony videoing the tornado move across <sighs> Nashville, freaking Nashville. Like that just supposed know. to happen out in the plains. I know, and uh, yeah, there's there's some folks, there's some local businesses that are destroyed. Mm-hmm. There's a I have a friend of a friend. Um, He's a singer-songwriter that lost everything. Mm. He's got a, you know, he's got a wife and kids and yeah. destroyed home. So wow, it's brutal. It is. Um, well, but you're going to be heading there. Yes, next okay, week. next week. Yeah. And so we want to encourage all of our listeners. What would you say about this book, Idiot Sojourning Soul? We don't want you to forget it. Um, what would you say about this book? Do you think it awakens hope or empowers change more? Ooh, uh, man, I, I guess I'll take awakens hope mm. because I also, a big part of the book is just providing some resources from within the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, perspectives that for whatever reason are not super fashionable right now among Mm -hmm. Christians, but are actually very like historically rooted and I would say pretty orthodox. Mm -hmm. So it's not like uh, there are no crazy, novel, innovative theological ideas in there, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Um, So I loved what you said early in the book about how um, 
what we call what we're calling progressive is actually very conservative in some ways yes. now <laughs> that yeah. Jesus would have because it's so um, what well, how did you define the meaning of what conservative actually means not what we identify it as now right so conservative means trying to stay true like having a high view of original sources and a pretty high opinion of tradition, um, which would mean you would have a lot of reverence for things like the Sermon on the Mount or Matthew 25, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the least mm-hmm. of these kinds of... So the passages of Scripture that, for a, a bunch of bizarre reasons, like if you quote those right now... Mm. You're an, a socialist anarchist. Right. Love the immigrant, the wanderer, the poor. Provide the poor wanderer with shelter. Isaiah 58, you know. The, That's conservative. Just, right. Because it's original. Right. Got it. And so. But in today's culture, it's progressive. Right. Or liberal or whatever yeah, you want to call it. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of that. Well, in- there was a lot for me. And I would say I would agree with Awaken Hope because this did Awaken Hope for me. Because Good. I felt like, ah, oh, Okay, like you're finally saying and giving me context for this rumbling I've been feeling in my gut, but just didn't have all the citations. Like Four thousand of them. I didn't have two thousand plus. How many citations? Galileo, how many Aristotle. I mean, you go like all the way back. Do you I, know how many sources? I you think have? I, I, there's like seven hundred books in the bibliography. I think, and then there's a thousand. <laughs> Footnotes. A thousand That's footnotes. Just absurd. <laughs> I know. But that was for those people who are like, I mean, most people will just blow by that and which is totally fine. Oh, but, you don't have those characters out there who are gonna check you though. Yes. Make sure. Which can we just can we just wrap this up yes. with what our friend uh, Dr. Todd Still, the dean of Truett Seminary at Baylor University, said about this book. This is one of the smartest humans I have ever <laughs> met in my entire life. And he is one of the most generous, charitable, and gracious yeah. people I've ever met. We saw him yesterday at lunch. Mm-hmm. And what did he say about this book? Yeah, I told him I was having you on the podcast today. And um, and I know he wrote um, one of the comment. What, are, what do you call these things on the back of the book? Blurbs. Endorsement. 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 Yeah. He wrote an endorsement, um, you know, that sounds very Dean, Deanish. Yes. But what he said to me over the lunch table was he wrote the book I could never write. And, and so again, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. It is historically accurate. It's theologically challenging, but it is so grounded for the streets. How do we live like in the real world with this huge understanding of, you know, calling. So it's good stuff. Thank you so much. You did a good work. Thank Thank you, you, Justin, for being with us today. Thank you for taking care of our kids too. Well, you got to get back and make sure they're not burning the place down. (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) You have a class to go attend to. Yep. Uh, Well, thanks for listening. And as we always say, share the love. That's right. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Yes. Because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.